Welcome to Forward to the Future, a podcast of conversations on leadership and education administration. In our first season, we will be interviewing retiring superintendents who are members of LUDA, the Large Unit School District Association in Illinois. Our host is Dr. John Berkey, former teacher, principal, and superintendent. Dr. Berkey is currently the executive director of the Large Unit District Association of Illinois. And now, here is our show. Well, today I'd like to welcome Dave Moyer, uh, who is the superintendent of Elmhurst. And Dave, welcome to uh, our podcast today. And maybe if you would start off by uh, telling us a little bit about your professional background. You're in Elmhurst now, but what did you do previous to uh, to getting to Elmhurst as superintendent? Well, thanks, John. I'm in my 11th year as a superintendent. So I was a superintendent in Moline, western part of the state of Illinois, and then for two years in Wisconsin, in Burlington. And I had stops along the way. Um, I started out as a college baseball coach. And when I got back into K-12 education, um, it was an athletic director at a place you're uh, familiar with, Huntley. And um, went on to be an assistant principal, a principal, an assistant superintendent. And uh, those positions were primarily in McHenry and Lake County. uh, raised my family in Crystal Lake with my wife, Donna, and um, and so this is my sixth year here now in Elmhurst. So, so before you became a superintendent in the in the two districts you were at, what uh, what what made you even aspire to take that step to be a superintendent? Well, it was kind of interesting because my dad was a sports writer, and um, you know, I grew up in a world where I was around a lot of coaches and I just always wanted to be a teacher and a coach. That was really what I aspired to do. Um, we, I, I was fortunate enough when I got into coaching at a young age, as a, I got a head coaching job, we won a state tournament and um, I moved on fairly quickly to college coaching. Um, I was at Eastern Kentucky for a little while, and then I was a head coach up at Lakeland College in Sheboygan, Wisconsin for about, I don't know, eight years, maybe seven years, seven years, I think. And um, yeah, I had family situation where it was looking like, you know, maybe it was time to think about doing some other things. And when I started to consider what I really want to do, I realized that coaching, I just translated coaching into leadership. And I sort of felt like I had always been in leadership types of roles. And I I didn't want to go back to being a coach and an athletic director because I was a coach and an athletic director at at the college level. I, I, when I made the change, I consciously decided I wanted to take a leadership path. And I always enjoyed um, college campuses and academics and things like that. So It just kind of came together, the idea of getting my doctorate and assuming a leadership path in education seemed to be where I was at at the time and what I wanted to do. And I think it was a little bit different for me because some people sort of evolve into being a superintendent um, over time. I had consciously decided that I wanted to pursue that path. So when I was in other districts and taking on different positions, I was always trying to learn from the superintendent, you know, whatever was working or not working or whatever their style was and how they were handling things. I was trying to sort of um, translate that into always, well, if I was a superintendent, you know, um, you know, 
Um, how would I handle that? What would I do? What worked for this person? And et cetera. And so that was the lens as I was changing jobs as always just um, uh, looking at things through uh, the superintendent lens and, and the coaching lens, because that was my background. And so I just always tried to view myself as a coach in, in a specific type of situation. So, so you're leaving Elmhurst and you're actually also leaving Illinois, but you're not leaving the superintendency. Tell us about where you're going. Yeah, I'll be heading out to Arlington Central School District, New York, just east of Poughkeepsie. It's probably about 75 miles or so north of the city. Um, it's a similar size as Elmhurst, demographics somewhat similar. Uh, the main difference is that it's, there's a lot of uh, square miles, uh, more rural district, a lot of different smaller communities that that feed into one high school. So the challenges will be the dip, a little bit different, but everywhere you go, there's always challenges. And um, you know, I view it as an interesting opportunity when I take a look at, at, at learning more about what it appears that they're looking for based on the conversations I'm having. Um, you know, there are some interesting challenges and, and um, I would like to you know, try to put some pieces in place and, and, and serve that community and help them along a little bit in, in the areas that, that they need to move and want to move. Well, you know, it, you know, people often think of uh, uh, New York as New York City, but uh, New York has actually got a lot of similarities to Illinois. And if you look at if you look at New York geographically, it's really Illinois upside down. Uh, you've got the city <laughs> and all of the suburban New York City. New York City suburbs, but there's a lot of rural areas of, of New York. It's just upstate New York instead of, you know, downstate Illinois. But it's, yeah, it's actually, an interesting analogy. You're really kind of right about that, John. I think that, that uh, you know, it, people think of Illinois, they think of Chicago being Illinois and same thing with New York. And that's, that's really not the case. So the, the big thing we want to talk about today is, you know, as you reflect on your career and you've you know, as you as you describe, you've had a lot of different leadership jobs, even aside from the superintendency. Just wanted you to impart some of the big leadership lessons you could give to those that are either current um, administrators or people that are uh, thinking about getting into leadership in uh, the future. So, what are the, some of the big things that you take away as leadership lessons? Yeah, you know, I, I think about this sometimes uh, when I talk with, we, you know, we really in our district have tried to invest in building the leadership capacity of our team. So when we hire some of our younger principals and things like that, we, we really try to work on some, some learning um, around and leadership around some of the specific work that we're prioritizing. And um, I've, I've talked with them several times. I teach some college classes once in a while and I, and I bring up this concept and it seems to resonate with me. I went through a couple of years ago, well, several years ago already, you know how time is. I went through some formal training through Gallup organization, some HR training on their strengths finder uh, theory. And that theory kind of goes that by the time you're in your early twenties, uh, your top five strengths are kind of solidified and, and your last two may sort of fluctuate a little bit, but your your top three are relatively stable throughout the rest of your life. And that a lot of times when people hire, they hire for specific skills instead of talents. And, and talented people can learn skills, 
But if, if certain types of dispositions aren't in place, they, they may never really be able to do that just because they, they are who they are. Um, and I was thinking about that theory, how it seemed to make sense to me. Um, and as I said earlier, I try to put, you know, I, I, the connections I tend to make are, are through my, my coaching lens and particularly in baseball. And I think that um, a lot of times and we're particularly pro, uh, uh, inclined to do this in education, we, we try to remediate everybody's weaknesses. Like we look at, you know, what are their weaknesses and we're going to fix it. And, you know, I right. tell people like, when was the last time you tried to fix your spouse and how did that work? So, <laughs> exactly. You know, so, I mean, it, it isn't that we don't need to try to improve or, or uh, that, you know, um, I mean, and so you take a look at every athlete, basketball player trying to get better at their left hand, a, a pitcher working on a changeup, a hitter trying to hit to the opposite field. Everybody's working on getting better at something that they're not maybe necessarily as good at. But in baseball, not everybody can do everything. Not everybody can run, throw, hit, hit with power and field. Um, and what you're trying to do is take your collective nine players and put them in a position where they can be most successful so that as a team, you can beat the other team. And, um, and I think that, that building on people's strengths and thinking about it that way is a really important concept in today's uh, schools because we're trying to build a, a collaborative culture. And for, for in the districts I've been in, I've tried to build it through PLCs. And, um, you know, a key concept is that individual excellence is, is one thing, but it's, you really need the collective expertise of everybody as schools get more and more complex and, and PLCs to me are a way to do that. And I think that, that sort of that theory about building on people's strengths and capitalizing on your collective uh, ability to be successful as a team really translates well in the schools if you do it right. But I, I think that we still get fixated on, you know, what did we do wrong? What's bad? What do we have to fix? And, and while you have to do that, um, I don't think it should be at the expense of really um, having an identity and developing some, some true strengths that can be a foundation for how you um, build your organization. And um, so I think that's an important leadership lesson to me. I think it makes sense in a lot of different ways. And, um, and, I, and I try to share that with people when I have a chance, because I think it is a little bit different than the way some people think about things. And I, I, I think it, if you reflect on it a little bit, it can be, can be kind of a powerful concept. Oh, definitely. Other lessons that you, you have for us? Well, you know what, uh, for, for me, thinking about a weakness that I have, you know, and a lesson that I've learned and something that I always feel that I have to just kind of check myself on is, um, you know, I'm a big Fulham uh, person and um, a lot of, a lot of his work has similar themes. He has a, a great way of turning a phrase and, and, and making complex concepts very intuitively accessible, I think. And, you know, he talks about all the time about relationships first, and that's not a new concept in terms of leadership. And, you know, the, the greatest mistakes that I've made are when 
I'm 99.9% sure that I know where we need to go and how to do it. And um, you get frustrated bring, trying to bring people along and get them to understand where they need to be. Um, and, and you're stuck on the, the hows and the what's um, and the, uh, you know, the tactics and the uh, building the infrastructure, allocating the resources or whatever it is. Um, and anytime you don't put relationships at the forefront of those conversations, you tend to make mistakes. And, you know, I, I've made some of those mistakes along those lines. And I just think as leaders, we always have to check ourselves and keep that as an important concept. And, you know, sort of going back to what, what I said before about PLCs, another, another area where I think we, we make mistakes as leaders that we need to try to avoid is when you think about the PLC concept and the ideas about loose, tight leadership, I think the biggest um, mistakes happen when um, the wrong people are making the decision. I, I think you wanna have the decisions made at, at the closest to the point of, of where it's appropriate. And so when you have a loose, tight structure, you have um, you have to empower the building principles. I think the building principles are the key to getting anything done. And the teachers have different decisions that they have to make at, uh, because they're, they're with the kids every day and they have to make decisions on the fly about what to do on any given day uh, with any given student. And so I think that when we um, uh, don't um, put the, the, the responsibility for the decisions in the, in the right places of the people who need to be making them. And we have uh, the, the wrong people making decisions. Sometimes you can have, make a mistake by being too bottom up. And sometimes you can make a mistake by being too top down. So I, I just think having a good loose tight um, uh, uh, system in place where the roles and the clarity is, 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 uh, uh, evident to everybody. And then you, you truly enable people by um, allowing them to do their jobs that you, you don't, you don't supersede decision-making uh, authority from, from the right people who should be making decisions. You know, I think boards do it. I think district offices do it. I think building leadership does it sometimes. And I think teachers do it when they don't, um, when they don't empower the kids to have ownership and agency over their own learning. Um, so we, I think it's, I think it's a, something that applies to every single person in the system. So you talk about, you know, how relationships are so important to, to that. So you've been in both small districts and, and, and now in, in, you know, in larger districts, it's harder in a large organization because you can't know everybody. You can't have an individual relationship with everybody. How, how do you find the effective ways are that you've been able to build relationships in a large organization? Yeah, the challenge is time. And um, I think that, you know, for example, I, I try to go, I make sure that I, I still evaluate principals. I make sure I go to the buildings. Um, I try to have a presence in the professional learning at the meetings. Um, I think it's important that the principals and the teachers know that you understand instruction. Um, you know, we have some formal channels in place to um, allow for, for dialogue and all those things are there. The, the biggest challenge is that um, when, um, 
either you get pulled away or you allow yourself to get pulled away or sucked into various different things that um, pull that sort of detract from your, I mean, we always say that it should be student first, student centered, right? And, and when, when, when people don't put students at the forefront of decisions, you know, you usually, um, you struggle as an organization to um, make any kind of progress with learning. And I think the same things ha happens when you don't put relationships first. And I think that the thing that has, has, that I've struggled with when I've fallen down in that area is the time. Um, and, and there's so many different things that, that seemingly are out of your control that take you away from what you really know you should be doing and want to be doing. And it's very frustrating. And, and, I, and I have to be honest, I mean, even though you know how important it is and you make the commitment to engage with your people and things like that, it, it's really hard to overcome the, uh, uh, the various different aspects. I mean, people can say what they want uh, and about, but I don't know too many districts that are overstaffed administratively. So my people, I mean, we're all pulled, we're all running ragged, you know, and, um, and sometimes I think we struggle to allocate our time where we really want it to be. And when that happens, I think that's when, when relationships start to falter. And that time issue has never been uh, uh, more at the forefront than in the last year with all of the things all administrators and teachers and everyone have had to do to shift to learning environment. Yep, no, ab absolutely. So as, as you look back on your career, what is a situation that um, was really challenging um, that you had to deal with as a leader and how uh, how'd you handle it? I mean, what, and how did you, uh, what's the lesson that you got out of it that you could share with, with everyone? Yeah, I, I, um, I could point to several different things, um, I suppose, but the, but one thing that would come to mind is that when I was in Moline, um, I got there and the, in July and at the June board meeting, the board was supposed to cut a million dollars from the budget. And for whatever reason, it, it, it didn't do it. And so we went from a swing, I walked in the door and we went from a swing of having a $1.4 million deficit to a $3.4 million deficit in two weeks. So I was kind of like my welcome to Moline. Wow. And so there were a lot of, a lot of difficult decisions that we needed to make there. And we had um, a lot of really, really small schools. So we had a single section school, believe it or not. And then we had a, a, a two section school in a part of town that was 98% Hispanic. And then we had a school that was 106 years old or 108 years old or something like that. And so we, we were getting around to where we were gonna have some room in our, in our um, bonds to uh, do some construction. So what, what we decided to do is we took the one section school and we essentially renovated that into a four section school and it was basically brand new. Then we, um, we took those kids out of there, put them in the older school for a year. And when we um, finished the construction, we brought all of those people back into the new school, demoed the old school. And then we also 
redistricted and moved some kids from a different school into the new school, closed the school that was in the, the part of town that was 98% Hispanic, moved those kids over to, to the school that we moved some of the other kids out of and we started a dual language program there. So we got a new building, we saved about $500,000 in our operating funds. We got dual language off the ground. We, you know, the, the achievement in the school that we closed, unfortunately, was not where it needed to be. Um, so we, we did multiple things. We accomplished multiple things at the same time. But imagine being in a place where you're going to both um, close two schools and redistrict um, at the same time. I mean, I remember walking out of uh, meetings with police officers taking me to my car because I had death threats. Um, you know, it's, uh, it was bizarre. And, you know, the only thing I could say is it was the right thing for kids. It was the right thing for the community, even though they didn't understand what we were doing at the time. And it was kind of interesting because that fall I got to uh, Elmhurst and the new school opened. And after, you know, a year of editorials in the paper and everything else, all of a sudden that was the best idea that anybody ever had. But that was the one story my name wasn't mentioned in. So <laughs> the, um, and, and I go back to a Fulham concept that, that um, I, I always come back to, and some people struggle with this, but it's be resolute. And I just... Um, you know, sometimes when you know you're right, you have to be willing to take that type of that type of blowback. And it's 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 just not easy to do. And people make it personal. And it's 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 um, I, I sometimes you know, I look around me now with everything that my peers are dealing with in their communities. And in some places, it's relatively better or worse, but it's pretty bad everywhere. And I had a reporter, you know, I was speechless and people will laugh about that who know me, but I was speechless. <laughs> a reporter asked me last week, why do you do this? Why do you keep doing this? And I froze. I didn't, I didn't know how to answer it. And then I came up with some answer that I don't think made any sense. I don't even remember what I said. Um, but um, you gotta be resolute, I guess. And um, that may sound trite, but um, I, I think that I've been that in my career. So, you know, you brought up an interesting point about when you're in difficult situations like that, uh, it, it is hard not to take that stuff personally because there will be personal attacks lobbed, even though people are upset about the issue. How, do, how have you, in your leadership, how do you handle that so that it doesn't become all-consuming? Yeah, well, it's getting harder. Um, it's getting harder. Um, I, I've taken, you know, a lot of that. And, you know, when I started to push back a little bit was when people started getting on my administrative team and my teachers, you know, it was one thing when they were targeting me, you could say that's part of the job. But I got to the point where I just wasn't going to stand by and let people throw pot shots at my, my administrative team and my teachers anymore. Um, but, uh, you, you know, part of my coaching background is, is a, a layer of intensity and that intensity serves me very well um, until it doesn't. And, you know, um, and, and when people see that it gets to you, 
then they know that they've won and then you're pretty much, you know, sunk. And I, I really don't know what you do. Um, I, I guess, you know, I like to do stuff on the grill. I, I like my dog. I like to read. Um, I think about my baseball buddies. I talk to them once in a while. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough when you live in the community you work in because uh, there's no way to get away ever. Um, but uh, I, I, uh, I just have to go back to, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Bob Dylan fan. I like music. I just have to go back to the things that take me to a place where I can find some semblance of enjoyment in something. I, I think that's a great point. I think all leaders have to have that thing whatever it is that you can, can escape from uh, the stresses of the job. And you're, you're absolutely right for everybody. It's, it's, it's very different what it is, but the key is finding out what yours is and making sure that you find time for that because it will become uh, it will become all consuming. And, and then you're, you're not effective as a leader. If well, if that's the problem is that you, you can see yourself being less than what you know you can be or what you want to be. Um, and, uh, and then you get frustrated and disappointed in yourself. It's almost a vicious cycle. Yeah. So let me flip it, flip that question completely over and ask you, as you look back on your career, what is something that you can look back on that you are just incredibly proud of that you are able to be a part of? Yeah. You know, I mean, when it comes to that question, um, I feel like, you know, there are some things that that I've done that I could point to, but I, I guess when you have to go back to and say, well, how do you nail it down to one thing? I mean, it, it, it probably has to be the $168.5 million referendum that we passed here in Elmhurst a couple of years ago. Um, I think I looked back on it and for three months, there was one, there were two nights in three months that I was actually at my house. Um, and we passed it with 62 percent, which 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 is a good number. Um, it allowed us to get a, a new schools, modern you know, safety and security, modernized spaces, all day kindergarten space for all day kindergarten, which we didn't have. Um, I mean, I, I you know, I'm personally proud of some of the things I tried to do with innovation and change leadership and being part of the scaling for impact program at Harvard and some other things that that we've done, but. Um, but I think that the biggest impact, long-term impact I'll have had on a community was uh, when we got that thing passed here in Elmhurst in 2018. Well, and that will far, uh, far surpass uh, your, your exit from uh, Elmhurst. So people will, uh, uh, you know, obviously kids, I should say, will ultimately reap the benefit of that for many, many years to come. So definitely something to be proud of. So, so as people are listening to this, um, with leadership advice from you, who's a leader that you really admire that you have looked to for uh, advice? Yeah, you know, I mean, you point to different people that have, an in, that have had an impact on your life, like my dad teaching me things like work ethic and stuff like that. But, you know, when I think about that question, if you want to put it in a leadership perspective or an education perspective, um, I, I would go to a person, um, that's become a friend of mine uh, named Ray McNulty. And uh, Ray was with the International Center for Leadership and Education for a while. He's the president of the Successful Practices Network now. 
Um, he was a commissioner of education in Vermont. He was a dean at Southern New Hampshire University, which I think was ranked like the, I, I don't know what, some incredibly high number is the most innovative, one of the most innovative organizations in the world. Uh, and, and in my interactions with him, the, the thing that I always appreciated was, has been that all of his conversations, whether they were about leadership or innovation or whatever, they always came back to kids. It was always about the focus on the student, student first, student being ready for the next generation, students being ready for the future job market. Um, and it was always focused on the students. And I thought that, you know, I always appreciated his ability to sort of dance in these high powered circles and still be just like this regular down the earth guy. He'll pick up your phone anytime you call him. He'll take the time for you. He, he treats, he's treated me incredibly well. And he's taught me that, you know, no matter who you are, if you're going to be in this business, um, uh, you, you have to take the time for people. You're, you have to, um, uh, you're, you're no, you're no better than anybody else. And, you know, you, you just, um, you have to have that, that humbleness and that, um, human decency where, you are um, available and accessible and willing to um, bring the next, you know, the next generation of people along to keep, keep public education strong in this country. And that you do that, you know, by keeping the focus on what's best for students. And um, so I've admired Ray. He's, he's been important to me in, in my career as a superintendent, without a doubt. No, oh, great. So one of the, the, the ways we end this podcast is... <clears throat> Um, I have a leadership quote that I want to share with everyone. And it's really interesting because you have not seen this quote, but you actually kind of touched on this topic uh, earlier. But the quote, quote I have today is uh, actually from Rosalind Carter, um, who hopefully everyone remembers, was a, one of our former first ladies, uh, wife of Jimmy Carter. Um, and actually both she and her husband are still alive, still live in Plains, Georgia, where they uh, had a peanut farm, and they're uh, they're both in their mid nineties. But a, a, a quote from uh, a Rosalind Carter, which I uh, think think really resonates with something we all need to think about, is she said, "A leader takes people where they want to go. A great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but ought to be." And so I think a lot of good, uh, a lot of good thought in that, 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 that part of leadership is knowing where, where the organization, where people ultimately need to be and helping uh, coalesce people around that. And you, you know, gave some great examples of that during our, uh, during our discussion. So, well, I actually love that quote. I'm going to use it again. I'm glad you brought that out. That that's a good one for sure. I, I, that resonates with me. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Dave, I really want to thank you for uh, for your time today and for sharing uh, your phenomenal leadership experience, both in educational administration, also, um, you know, athletic coaching leadership experience that you've had. And we certainly um, are going to miss you in Illinois, but we wish you uh, we wish you the best uh, as you move on to New York uh, next year. So, again, thank you uh, to Dr. David Moyer. Thanks, John. Likewise, I've appreciated everything we've been able to work on over the years. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you.